It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another huge edition of Reliving the War. This is the podcast where we go through the Monday Night Wars and relive them. Right now we're in 1999, we're barreling through it bit by bit, and it is time for Unforgiven 1999. We're into the in-your-house style pay-per-views that are no longer branded in-your-house, and the, the WWE is feeling pretty big league at the moment that we've sort of noticed in, in 1999. I don't know about you, Simon, but it just seems like when I was watching this, Compare it to 12 months ago, because we we mentioned how like the WCW pay-per-views seem to have been, haven't really moved forward all that much at a rapid pace, whereas the WWE stuff seems to be completely different plane than, you know, even just a year before. Yeah, last year there wasn't an Unforgiven, I can't remember if it was in the same month, but either way, this feels like an evolution, everything is different, the production's a bit better. You know, the the talent, everyone looks a little different. Everyone's got different gear. Everything looks and feels fresh still. Each year feels like an evolution. We didn't really get that from WCW. If anything, things started to go backwards yeah. in WCW. And this had a great video package. Again, another sign of how the production would just get better and better. This one was another uh, biblical style <laughs> intro, fire and brimstone and, you know, classical music. You had a female vo- voiceover and also a little bit of Freddie Blassie at the end uh, doing the the Our Father prayer, which yeah. I, I love how WWE, the production team at the time, wanted to make this appear so serious that they would be like, and we're going to put prayers over it and we're going to you know mm. equate it to things that happened in the Bible. But it, again, who cares? Sell it like that. Make me believe this is the most important thing happening. I, I pretty much wrote the same thing too. And the one thing I wanted to add as well, because it highlights the six pack challenge that we're going to be seeing later on. It's got a real, like when, when they did the the rebranding from Monday night raw to Rory's war, they really sort of amped it up and it sort of had that kind of same vibe to it. Mm. Then we get straight to JR and King selling the six pack challenge. And also a, a little sub story of this pay-per-view, the refs are on strike due to unsafe working conditions. Yeah. I really love the referees being on strike because, you know, if you know the history of the WWE and Vince McMahon's sort of disdain for unions, was he trying to make the referees bad guys for going on strike? Ooh, so you've been beat up at work. Stop complaining. Like, are they meant? Are we meant to hate them for doing this? Well, they constantly referred to as scab refs, anyone that does decide to cross, cross the yeah, picket okay. line. Yeah, but that's where I was confused. So, like, are the ones who are standing strong, are they the good guys? But then I don't mm. think they they are. I don't know. I think they're, they're presented as pansies for not being, you know, hardened up and taking ref bumps or whatever. 
I like to think that this is Vince's uh, shot back because he's clearly had to obviously have a month of Jesse Ventura. And now he's just kind of like, hey, yeah, just reminding true. everyone, this is my world. Still. That's true. Yeah, yeah. A month after Jesse's gone, he does a union storyline. <laughs> um, so we get into our first match of the pay-per-view. It's Val Venus versus Steve Blackman. And I, uh, my, my first question was like, are they feuding because Val stole Steve Blackman's bag? And according to King, filled it with sex toys. Yeah. Well, was that a segment on Raw? I'm guessing it was. I reckon there's I'm a segment was, yeah. where Steve Blackman pulls out a giant sex toy instead of his kendo stick. <laughs> I reckon you're not far from the, uh, <laughs> off the mark there, especially after King's commentary. There is a amusing shot of some very unimpressed ladies after Val's promo. But uh, Brooklyn Brawler is the first scab ref here. Mm. And um, in another sign of the times, Jerry Lawler sneaks in a plug for Man on the Moon, the Jim Carrey movie biopic about Andy Kaufman. And this is a fairly inoffensive match. The WWE's opening matches were just sort of there to ease you into the pool. They weren't, they did, they weren't really standouts. They weren't really offensive. They were just there. Yeah, it was a different way of thinking. Uh, the philosophy for WCW was like, start off hot with, you know, main 90% of the time, a cruiserweight match, they're doing flips, get the crowd into it. Sometimes WWE would just say, no, here's a match, just ease into it. Here's a character, yeah. you know, get into the gimmick and just, you know, enjoy yourself and get acquainted with what's coming up later in the night. Um, yeah. I will say, though, the the line from King about, you know, man on the moon is out soon. He then works it into a Val innuendo. And he said that Val told him he has a movie coming out called Man in the Moon. And JR barely, barely sells it. He's like, oh, it wasn't the best. It wasn't King's best work. Um, so Val Venus actually gets the money shot for the win. Um, post-match, Val gets beaten up by a kendo stick to the head, which leads to Ambos coming out to check on Val as Steve Blackman gets in the face of the EMTs. And Jim Dotson, who's yeah. security, I'm guessing, uh, and all I can think of is Jim Dotson looks like he's dressed like Buff Bagwell in street clothes. <laughs> so so this was something I took notes on. So um, Jim Dotson, for fans of this era, you would see him at pretty much every WWE event in the crowd. This giant buff guy who was wearing one of those leather berets that Triple H would also start rocking really soon. <laughs> and there was always talk of like, you know, before the internet and stuff, saying, oh, you know, I heard that guy's going to be a wrestler. Like, he's this is his storyline. He starts off as security and he's going to jump in. This triggered that memory because he throws Blackman away and the crowd cheers. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh, this is going to be the start. We're going to see him, you know, start wrestling. Look at how big his arms are. But it, it never happened. So I did some research. Jim Dotson was supposedly friends with The Undertaker from the 80s. Ah. And he hooked him up with a security job because he was a security guard. He then ended up as head of security for WWE. He was offered multiple times by Vince McMahon the opportunities to wrestle. And he always turned it down. He said he didn't want to. He just wants to do security and take care of the boys and whatever. Um, he ended up working with the WWE until 2001. He had wow. to retire due to severe uh, migraines. He had some sort of condition. And then, yeah, and then he passed away uh, in 2015. So, wow. but for that era of the WWE, he worked there since the the mid-90s. So, yeah, he, he had a good run and was one of those memorable background characters. Like, yeah. if, if we were doing the WWF versus WCW, head of security for WCW was Doug Dillinger. Head of WWE security, like, he even looked more like a WWE mm. guy. It was Jim Dodson. 
what was what was hilarious too about that what we're talking about um doug dillinger doug dillinger was shoot head of wcw security as well yeah it, which is it's, it's hilarious that these guys actually like jim dotson wasn't a gimmick security guard no, he was a, real, real a security, security guard I, I do want to say as well before we move on from this steve blackman hits val venus with one kendo stick shot it knocks him out and referees and emts have to check up on val venus when mm. I was young, a kendo stick used to do some goddamn damage. These days, someone will get hit 50 times with a kendo stick and not even sell it. Like a kendo stick is now the weakest uh, of all gimmick weapons. Yeah, like to the point where they will actively go like, please, sir, may I have some more to that point with repeated headshots. But uh, hey, look, maybe the bamboo's gotten weaker as uh, <laughs> as we've moved on. Um, we then get to a little big show backstage segment and he's asked by Michael Cole where Taker is. He doesn't really care. There's not really much else to say about this. He asked then there Michael is a re- Cole if he's taking stupid pills. Yeah. And I rolled my eyes at that. I'm like, oh, anytime they tried making big show like this cool guy never works. He's always better as a face when he's just a nice friendly guy or when he's a, a monster heel. This kind of don't, don't do this big show. It doesn't work. Yeah. He's he's still trying to find his feet a yeah. little bit here, uh, and they're doing their absolute best because they're throwing everything at the wall oh, trying to make had it. So stick. many gimmicks already since <laughs> arriving in WWE. Yeah, it's September in the WWE now. He, <laughs> he he arrived in February, and already we've had that many gimmick changes and whatnot. Um, we get a bit of a recap of Mark Henry versus D'Lo Brown, and Mark Henry gets slapped by Lillian Garcia after whispering something in her ear. This is actually a, a pretty interesting storyline, and it's sort of built on the um. Because it made Mark Henry, it gave him a bit more of a character than just sexual chocolate and, you know, the guy that was in the nation. It sort of built on their history, which is kind of cool. Um, and, yeah, then we cross to the refs on the picket line before we actually get to the match. Dr. Tom Pritchard is the referee for this. And um, Mark Henry claims that he's got a brain neurism and can't compete since, uh, and because of that, he can't put the title on the line, all due to being slapped by Lillian Garcia. Mm. And I gotta, I gotta admit, I, that popped me. It was pretty amusing. Oh, great bit of heel work from Mark Henry. So Mark Henry's one of those guys, he may not have had it fully in the ring yet, but the sexual chocolate character was there. Like, he was very entertaining mm. doing that. So we saw more of that here. It wasn't Hall of Pain Mark Henry yet. Um, that was a fun promo. The package for this was good too. So it's all about D'Lo being a good friend, trying to help Mark Henry lose weight. And then I was thinking how much this makes sense because how many times have we heard JR mention the amazing amount of weight that D'Lo Brown lost? So if you're going to go to anyone for weight loss advice, it's, you know, uh, D'Lo Brown. So it, it made sense in kayfabe as well. Yeah, it sure did. And the best part is, like, so D'Lo's out, the fight's on. Mark Henry gets a jump on D'Lo and then get gets back in the ring for the bell. Um, D'Lo with a dive to the outside, gets a crossbody. He even hits a sky high on Mark Henry, which is really, really impressive. Um, Mark Henry has a massive rest hold. Is King berates D'Lo for eating steaks while Mark Henry just has lettuce. It's mm. King, i got to say, his, his heel commentary is top-notch, this pay-per-view. Yeah, King was really good here. You know, that Val Venus joke aside, for the most part, King was killing it here. This is like classic Lawler and JR. They do a lot to contribute to a match like this, where, Mm. again, back here it wasn't about having a five-star match in every match. That wasn't the point. It was get across the story, and JR and King did a big big part of that by moving the story across. So they were really good here. 
And the crowd was into this. They really wanted D'Lo yep. to win. And that's important. They weren't saying, oh, we're bored because the match isn't good. No, they wanted one guy to win. And then when D'Lo hit his finisher, there was a huge pop. So it's not about was the match good necessarily. Were the crowd into it? And did the story move along? And I think they ticked the boxes here. Very much so. D'Lo becomes a new European champion after he gets a, a lowdown after he reverses a powerbomb off the top rope. Really, really good. Also noticed too, JR didn't once mention that he was a certified practicing accountant. Oh, he didn't. I know. That's pretty crazy. I don't know what was up with that. Next up, it is Michael Cole with the Acolytes, and the Acolytes cut a promo of how they're better than the Dudley boys, and they'll send another team from ECW packing. A nice little shot at the public enemy there. Um, and then we cut to the jobbers beating up Chaz uh, because there were allegations that Chaz beat up his girlfriend. Yeah, so and, Chaz, Chaz is yeah. formerly Mosh from the Headbangers, who mm-hmm. for a brief minute was Beaver Cleavage. Beaver Cleavage, yep. So they then moved away from Beaver Cleavage, which was a take on Leave It to Beaver, where Beaver Cleavage had a relationship with his mother. And then they said, no, it's not my mother. It's actually my girlfriend. And that's just the bit of fun that we're doing. And then that turned into, oh, I think he's beating up his girlfriend. Okay. In this era between this storyline and what we're going to see later with Al Snow and Boss Man, it was time to cut Vince Russo loose. I'm sorry. It's funny you mentioned that because... We don't need this. It's it's hilarious that you mentioned that because my note that I've written down here, when is Russo leaving? (laughs) I, I honestly think they got rid of him at the right time. The The bloom was almost going to fall off the rose, I think. Yeah. Um, Deborah is then backstage and she's annoyed at Jeff Jarrett and Double J comes around to uh, yell at her as we get a recap of SmackDown. It is Jeff Jarrett versus China for the Intercontinental title and uh, Jeff Jarrett is out with Miss Kitty and uh, Jerry Lawler absolutely loses it with a here kitty kitty chant. For those that don't know, Miss Kitty is his actual wife as well so it kind of makes makes it a little less creepy but it's still kind of creepy if that makes sense yeah he's harassing his own wife it's fine <laughs> <laughs> and what's weird about this era china gets a massive pop even though she's still sort of aligned with triple h and is still his like hater a little bit hmm. so it's so strange like she's got the, the the triple h my time music she hasn't yet quite crossed over to the um the ninth one of the world don't treat me like a woman music and all that sort of stuff that we'd see later on with her feud with jericho but yeah it, it's i'll tell you there is a hilarious bit of commentary as king also refers to jr as being a chauvinistic male p- a pig because uh he reckons that um you know the inequality of a man versus a woman yeah yeah it's a great bit of heel logic he's saying you know well why not jr aren't they equal and whatever and he yeah. also has a go at JR when they go outside of the ring. And um, I think JR says, oh, the referee's got to get these guys back in the ring. And King's yeah. like, what do you mean these guys? China's <laughs> not a guy. It's so funny. <laughs> um, Harvey Whippleman is the ref here, and he just absolutely gets the shit taken out of him here. Mueller and May Young are also in the front row. Um, Jeff Jarrett, there's a, there's a sequence in there where Jeff Jarrett has China in a sleeper hole, but China sort of hulks up out of it. The ref also doesn't stop China using a chair on Jeff Jarrett. Um, and Jeff Jarrett is about to get a guitar out as the ref is down. But May Young and Mooler interfere in one of the most bizarre spots of the Attitude Era I've ever seen. 
Oh, this was great, though. The crowd was eating it up. May and Muller, yeah. who are very old here, they hit a double suplex on Jeff Jarrett, but then he gets up straight away and just wallops them with a double clothesline. I think a Jeff really was, stiff one, too. Yeah, I think he would have said to them, and, you know, he's old school, he would have said, well, I can only sell so much for you. Like, I'm not going to act like I'm not, you know, like I'm hurt. He absolutely smashes them. It is... It is crazy. I will say this match was one of the most fun matches on the show. This mm. was really, really good. Jeff Jarrett goes out of his way to sell for China, to do all of his, you know, good wrestling with her. They go back and forth. There's good exchanges. And then you get the crazy bullshit WWF style ending <laughs> with run in and run in. But it never, it doesn't, there's really a difference between when they do this and WCW does this. Yeah. It's like they're just so expertly um, choreographed in the WWE. Everything is just perfect, leading to one thing to another, building to this big, uh, crazy ending. Because after that, we get Deborah coming out. She shoves Miss Kitty. And then Jeff Jarrett, I think he's going to put the figure four on China. And yep. Deborah just smashes Jeff Jarrett with the guitar to another giant pop. Like the crowd is going crazy for this whole match. China gets the three count for the win. And then the crowd goes absolutely mental. But then head scab ref Dr. Tom Pritchard is back out and reverses the decision to an enormous amount of booze. It's mm -hmm. crazy how well China's built up here. And I also want to quickly mention too, like seriously, King, <laughs> it's going to be a running joke about the how much joy that King gets from seeing Mauler and May Young <laughs> get the absolute crap beaten out of him by Jeff Jarrett. Oh, he loves it. Uh, we see a clip of Steve Austin from Heat, uh, from Sunday Night Heat, where he promises there'll be a new WWF champion tonight before we then segue towards the Dudley Boys versus the Acolytes. The Dudleys are still in their kind of tie-dye ECW gear, and Bubba is, you know, the stuttering kind of guy as well. Jim Corderas has crossed the picket line and is here to officiate. He's going to be the ref. As I mentioned, JR still having a lot of fun with Mae Young and Moolah. Uh, jokes and JR also mentions the New Age Outlaws are tag team champions again. And all I could think of is like, well, that Billy Gunn experiment is basically done. Yeah, exactly. That match with The Rock was like, ah, okay, we tried. This isn't happening. <laughs> Back to the Outlaws for you. Uh, interesting here with the Dudley Boys that they're doing this gimmick because they didn't end their ECW run with this gimmick. This was early <laughs> Dudley Boys. Vince McMahon, I assume was like, oh, we got to give you a fun gimmick. Go back to that old shtick you used to do. He would have seen them do that once and mm. thought that's what he was getting. So Bubba Ray, having gone from, you know, cutting vicious promos on the crowd and being this, you know, great uh, heel, was reverting back to doing the the comedy just, just, stuttering. Just, just, just stuttering, yeah. And Devon, even though Devon sort of just continued down this path for the most part, he's in full preacher mode with his promo mm. here. Which is kind of interesting. The Dudley boys for a tag team have such different gimmicks to each other. Like, they're, you know, they're very different. And I think that that's kind of what always made it work. They're not the same guy at all, but they have that chemistry in the ring. Also, yeah, we written. play the age game a lot. Yeah. I'm one with the Dudleys because when you're a kid, they seem older just because of the way they're, they're dressing and they have to wear the glasses. They're hmm. only 27 and 28 here. Like, the Dudleys serious? were young guys. Yeah. Wow. So that, that whole youth movement, when everyone talks about Edge and Christian and the Hardys, the Dudleys were basically the same age. That's crazy. Yeah. That is, that is, 
I, I guess too, because you know we haven't seen like we're because it it we sort of mentioned at the start of the, doing the podcast because they're a new face. You just assume, oh yeah, new, young, whatever. Mm. Um. So as we get back to the match, there's a part to there where um where Jr. confuses Farouk with Bradshaw for a bit, <laughs> but um, which is when you yeah, enough said. But uh, Jr. calls the Dudleys tougher than a two dollar steak, which I always love when he throws in one of those lines. Uh, Bradshaw gives Devon a huge superplex as Bubba and Farouk fight on the outside. There's a 3D on Farouk as Bradshaw gives a clothesline from hell. These guys were working very, very snug together as well. I think the story goes that the Dudleys really won their respect for being able to take it and, you know, being able to put up with it and have a good match and blah, 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 compared to the public enemy. So the mm. Dudleys were kind of made really quick in WWE. I remember it didn't feel like it took long to establish them as an act that was over. Because think about it. We're in September here, like for Unforgiven. By WrestleMania, they're wrestling for the tag team titles in the, the ladder match. And that's it. They're like the main event tag team already. They also, pretty much by the time, I'm, I'm not sure if it's before Royal Rumble 2000 or ju- like, as in like still during 99, they move away from the tie-dye and go to the camo. Like WWE brand Dudley boys so much better than the crappy tie-dye and they make them look like like a million bucks as well. Yeah, that's true. Good point. They go from the tie-dye to the camo and the camo is WWE Dudley boys and that becomes their their look going forward. Yeah, so much so that even blends into their Team 3D run as well. Mm. Like, that was the look they kind of stuck with. Uh, And they do bring out the tie. I I think it's cool how I love when Jericho does this a lot as well. Like, Bubba Ray and Demon do it too. When they do the throwback kind of, um, when they they put the tie-dye on, yep, they go to ECW mode kind of thing. It's it's kind of like DLC for... uh, (laughs) For different wrestlers, but um, yeah, this match is pretty good. Unfortunately, it's ruined by Stevie Richards out with a super kick on Devon, and gives the acolytes the win. Post match, Stevie Richards gets beaten down. I can't remember what Stevie Richards was doing in this era, but I do remember that he was basically like dressing up as people and trying to be part of their teams. Yeah, it feels like they do this with different wrestlers every few years. Like that's someone's gimmick. And it was Stevie Richards' turn here. He's dressed as an acolyte. Instead of having the acolyte paintings on his chest, it says UPN, which is the channel (laughs) SmackDown was on. He's got the logo with the shapes. Um, Yeah, I don't know why they had to incorporate that, but they did. The crowd kind of cheered the APA at the end when they beat up Stevie Richards. And I think we're close to them becoming faces too. Yeah. And and even in their promo earlier, they were moving away from being scary acolytes to just being these two ass kickers so they're very close it's amazing how like the wwe from 99 to 2000 i'm really looking forward to the 2000 run of pay-per-views because everyone nails it like everyone's reached their final form in 2000 but it's cool to see the little the, the little steps as we get towards um uh you know the 2000 where everyone sort of knows 100% what they are. Um, Luna Vachon takes on Ivory next in a hardcore match for the Women's Championship. This is just straight straight in. It's, it's a hardcore... It's it's almost in the same vein that Al Snow and, um, and Hardcore Holly did at the start of the year, except on a much smaller scale. There's a bit where Ivory gets um, photocopied and the hilarious bit where Ivory throws a phone at at uh, Luna Vachon and JR says, reach out and call a friend. 
Yeah, no, not just that. JR was all about the pop culture references. When they were doing the photocopier spot, he um he quoted the Rob Schneider SNL skit and he was like, <laughs> making copies. It's so weird when JR does stuff like that because you never expect it. Yeah, when his fingers are firmly on the <laughs> yeah. pulse there. Um, and not talking bit... about John Wayne movies. <laughs> um, Luna gets on top of a forklift as well. Like I said, this match is really short. Mm. Tori gets involved with very minimal impact and we get the pin on Luna and um, that's about it. It's we've mentioned this before. If you want to talk about someone that made an absolute drop in the WWE and did nothing, Tori is that. Tori is that's the most hilarious running ever. She walks in, gets hit, and thrown into a box, and that is all she does. It happens in like one minute. Yeah, mm. I don't know what they're expecting with her, but it couldn't have been this. She it almost is. feels like the first Sinkara or one of these people who they bring in <laughs> with some sort of like, oh, I've heard this guy could be good. Or like Sylvester Turkey or Kenzo Suzuki. I think Tori is in that uh that category. That kind of mold. Like, oh, you know, they've they got this background in Japan. They're gonna be good. <laughs> um good. next yeah, they really aren't. Um yeah, when the best thing you've done is turning on Kane and and siding with X Park as his valet. That's about it, really. Mm. Um, Lillian Garcia is out next with Mauler and May Young, and Ivory comes out and berates him a bit, but gets beaten up. And then we get taken to uh, Edge and Christian versus the New Age Outlaws. Edge and Christian actually get a pretty decent pop as well, which is pretty cool to see. Um, the Outlaws are back to their old shtick. Billy Gunn, as a singles wrestler, is just completely reset back to the Outlaws um, sort of mode. And in my opinion, I reckon this is a step back for Road Dog. You know what's funny? I was thinking that too. But <laughs> Billy Gunn, it makes sense. He fits better in a tag team here. You know, he didn't doesn't have the charisma that he somehow has in 2023. He fits better in a tag team. But Road Dog was really coming into his own. He was doing great <laughs> stuff with China and sort of in the King of the Ring. Like he's always over. And the Road Dog's a good wrestler, as we've seen over the past few months as a singles um he might not have the best body or you know look like billy gunn but he can do everything else whereas mm. billy gunn i think is missing a lot of those uh x factors or intangibles and yeah it does feel like it's road dog taking a step back as well <laughs> um what's funny yeah. about this match too though billy gunn edge christian three of aew's hottest young stars in the <laughs> match yeah, it's it's crazy to think of. And as we go back, as we were talking about AEW, it's important to mention that uh, Jeff Jarrett has had more matches than Kenny Omega, <laughs> MJF, and Adam Cole, and all of the, you know, quote-unquote, and Orange Cassidy as well. It's just amazing that the old dudes are still uh, going strong here. Um, so basically, Edge and Christian got this title shot due to beating the Acolytes. There's a weird bit where King asks JR if he likes a doggy style, which is a, you know... <laughs> A very good road dog pung at the moment. It's a fairly um, slow-paced plotting match, which is a hint. It's far away from their Mania 2000. Like, 2000 WWE tag team just gets kicked up a notch. And I think it gets to no mercy when it gets ramped up, when we see it in the cup in next month, yeah. that the tag division really hits its peak. But it's still kind of in that, you know, transition period where the outlaws are still the clear favorites. They're still on top of the food chain. But uh, we're seeing that there are winds of change in this division. They are. We're seeing that next, uh, you know, the next crop of tag teams come in. 
really mm-hmm. from like late 99 to the end of 2000 is the peak of the 90s era of tag team wrestling in the WWF. The only era that rivals the the 80s in the WWE in terms of taking tag team seriously because we're eventually going to get the proper APA. We're going to get too cool. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you combine that with everyone who's there and it's off to the races for tag wrestling in, in the WWE. My even, favorite even bit Al, of this... Al, sorry? Uh, even like Al Snow and Steve Blackman. Yeah. Like, it's Ed it's cheese. weird how, how well the WWE's 2000 tag team uh, division is. But sorry, go on. Uh, my favorite bit of this match was a bit of commentary where King starts laughing before he starts talking because I'm guessing someone in his headset told him to say this. And he says, oh, JR, when Muller and Mae Young were out here, you forgot to mention where they played football. And King is laughing the whole time. And then JR's like, oh, you didn't come up with that. Someone clearly told you to say that. But it's so funny, which is such a funny line. And he's like, oh, were they Sooners as well, JR? And JR's like, oh, they could have been, you know, they could have been cheerleaders. But yeah, it was so funny. That's low-key one of my favorite bits of 99 commentary that I I had, didn't appreciate, obviously, back uh, back in the day when I was a teenager watching. JR's saltiness when someone calls <laughs> it out on things. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a fairly decent match. Um, the new brood is out, so the Hardys and Gangrel, and they attack Christian while the ref uh, doesn't see. Costs them the match. There's a famous uh, on edge, and that gets the win. Mm. Um, next up, it is a quick little bit with Bulldog and Triple H with Lillian Garcia as they talk to them about their alliance. Uh, that's really about it. Michael Coles with the boss man. And this is the part where I completely forgot the kennel of hell was a thing. And the cell lowers, the cage is assembled, and boy, oh boy, we are in for an absolute treat. As Lillian Garcia talks to Al Snow about the loss of Pepper, and JR does his best to feign some emotion. JR having to straight face explain that Al Snow's Chihuahua Pepper was murdered, butchered, skinned, and cooked by the boss man was so funny. Because JR <laughs> doesn't even try crap on it. I don't know why. Out of all things, this was the one he decided to play along with. But it's so dumb. Uh, I, I forgot the kennel from hell was on this pay-per-view as well. And when they started putting it together, I thought, oh, no. One of the absolute worst WWE matches of all time. So we're going to skip. We'll skip ahead a little bit um, at the moment because this is, I, I looked up to see, um, this is the last WWE pay-per-view that Vince Russo does <laughs> because the next WWE pay-per-view um, is the one that Vince Russo has all of his fingerprints on. But all I can say is, do you reckon that Kennel from Hell is the bit where someone just maybe edged him towards the door? Yeah, yeah. It's, it had to have been. They're like, <laughs> oh, man, it's really hard here. You reckon WCW's uh, offering anything? And, you know, I mean, just, just hinted him to leave. Yeah, it's basically there. This, this feeling is like, you know, you were the guy that invented the Attitude Era, so why don't you see if you could turn that shit Yeah, around? you should take your talent there. He sure did. <laughs> All right, where do we start with this kennel from hell? Um, so to win, you need to escape both cages. Um, there's also not a dog in sight yet um, until the dogs come out. Bossman is stuck in between both cages where, I guess in theory, these ferocious Rottweilers are meant to be, you know, roaming and attacking because, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're roaming and attacking. But I've just read my next note where I've just said, the dogs are actually shitting and pissing all over the place. <laughs> Which, which amuses King to no avail. Uh, these dogs were not the kind of dogs you want for this match. They weren't attacking. They weren't ferocious. 
they were pissing and crapping, like you said. They also started humping. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> these were not not the dogs for this match. For younger fans, this was basically the same rules as a Punjabi prison match, where there's mm-hmm. two cages and you have to escape to win. If the kennel from hell didn't work, why did they try that? I don't know. Yep. It's a dumb match. You can't see in between two cages, so the crowd can barely follow along. It's just a mess. Um, the best part is, so within minutes, Jay already refers to this match as having bowling shoe tendencies. Um, <laughs> he, he also then says that the match was Al Snow's idea. That's good. Throw him under the bus. Um, JR also gets some cheap shots at King's mare campaign. What did he say? I missed that. Oh, it, it was basically just, um, like, you know, linked the match to like, this is about as going as well as your campaign. Uh. <laughs> Clearly he'd kept this in advance. Yeah, up yeah. <laughs> I love because anytime someone, this is another thing that we brought up, uh, that we brought up anytime, anytime JR gets cut down by King. It always takes about a match because you can tell that JR has been simmering on a comeback that really just eviscerates uh, King at the end. Yeah, he'll go to his two two can't miss insults. He'll talk about mm-hmm. running for mayor and failing, and he'll talk about young women. That's yeah. like a JR's comeback every time for King. And to be fair, it is it, it's two very good get out of jail free cards to cut Jerry Lawler down to size. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, this is. This the crowd, as you mentioned, Simon. The crowd is absolutely silent um, until Bossman smacks Al Snow on the head with a cake tin. Bossman starts cutting the top of the cell as well, and they then um, chuck a bunch of weapons and whatnot at each other. And cuffs he, he, Bossman then cuffs Al Snow to a turnbuckle. Al Snow busts out of the handcuffs like he's a superhero. He then cuts off the Bossman from climbing out the cage. Al Snow gets head out of nowhere and takes out boss man. Al Snow escapes the cage and big boss man looks like he's glad that this match is over. Like mm. there is nothing positive to say about this match, except for it's, it's over as a match. It's an even more boring and worse hardcore match than we've seen in WWE or WCW. Uh, not even um, Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris could make this worse. This was bottom <laughs> of the barrel boring hardcore wrestling in a dumb gimmick you can't see what's going on the dogs don't care um nothing the crowd does. doesn't care the crowd doesn't care this, this is a shit show in in every sense of the word um the only good part was the ending when the boss man has to pretend like these dogs are vicious and he bolts it from the cage to backstage but while he's running all of the dog handlers run after him with the dogs and one <laughs> poor idiot absolutely eats shit and falls <laughs> over his own dog and King and JR just crack up. That sums up the match. And JR says, oh, we've seen the first and probably last ever <laughs> match. You're right. You're right, JR. It's absolutely awful. Um, Michael Cole is with me again. Oh, but we should point out too, um, this they take so long to dismantle the cage that it bleeds into the next match, which is just awful. But um, Michael Cole's with Mankind backstage, and Cole asks him what he'll do. He has to face The Rock in the six-pack challenge. Um, and Mankind gets a Rock and Sock chant going on because at the point in time, they're the Rock and Sock connection, uh, which my timeline must have been really off because I didn't realize it was this early in the piece. I always thought it was like later, um, like late 99, early 2000, that Rock and Sock connection were a thing. 
Well, by early 99, Mick Foley is retiring. So, yeah, it's got to happen here. We're really close to mankind's failed feud with Val Venus as well, mm. with the release of his book and, you know, and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, we then get to Chris Jericho with Mr. Hughes taking on X-Pac. Now, X-Pac, um, this is his, this is Y2J's debut WWF pay-per-view match as they're still mopping up after the shitty Kennel of Hell match. How awful is it? Um, Y2J cuts a heel promo and mentions X-Pac is actually taking Ken Shamrock's place. So Ken Shamrock, actually, the last time we saw him was at SummerSlam and that was it. We don't see him in the WWE again, like full stop ever. Hmm. Never seen him again. It's really weird. Ken Shamrock feels like one of those guys they should have put in the Hall of Fame by now. Yeah. You know, he feels like one of those really, you know, over mid-carders who left an impression on the fans. He had his big moments. He should be in the Hall of Fame by now. So it's, if, it's we're talk- if we're talking conspiracy theories, not conspiracy theories, but uh, you're you're very good. Like, for those that don't know, Simon's very good at doing that. Um, anyone seen that? If anyone's seen that animated gif from like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia where the guy's got the board with all the <laughs> wires and stuff like that, like drawing those things. Um, anytime that there's like, you know, a WWE 2K announcement, Simon always says, like, oh, someone's returning to the fold or something like that. Yeah, well, we've seen Ken Shamrock in 2K. Which one was he in? The Attitude Era one. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. But here's the other thing. the One of the most recent Legends lines of Mattel figurines has been Ken Shamrock. There hasn't been a Ken Shamrock figure in, like, seven years. Oh, okay. That's good. Bring yeah. back Ken Shamrock. Like, get him into the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. Um, and let's make uh, him he, a regular legend in the video games too. Yeah. I feel like I'd he should always be in the games. Like that, that I forget which one it is. I think it's WWE 12 or 13 where it focused 13. on the attitude era and you had yeah, D'Lo 13. Brown and Ken Shamrock. I was so happy. Like that was awesome. WWE 13 is low-key underrated. One of the best THQ games. It's because it's got like that early NXT roster as well. CM Punk's on the cover. You can, uh, yeah, it, it's great. In fact, if we ever do a video game, uh, rate, like if we ever rate video games, we, we actually should do that. We've always talked about it, but uh, we should do like our top five um, video games of that because it's a super, WWE 12, which has a story mode where it focuses on WCW coming back and WWE 13, which focuses on the Attitude Era. Quite a companion of games. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Oh, um, cool. But anyway, getting getting back to the the match. Uh, so Y2K's he's basically doing um, his entire shtick to to pad while they get rid of the kennel of hell remnants, and there is a huge pop for X Park. Like it is so interesting to see how X Park and Jericho are in the WWF after we've seen them for so long in WCW and how they wrestle, how they act. It's night and day. Mm. Yeah. I think this match, I, I kind of, I think they put this here on purpose to be after the Kennel from Hell match because mm-hmm. they knew that was going to suck. Yeah. I don't know if these guys fully got the crowd back, but they sure tried. They did their absolute best because Jericho does a whole bunch of moves that we don't see him doing the WWE again. Mm. There's there's things like tilt-a-wheel backbreakers, um, missile drop kicks uh, from X-Park and stuff like that. Although X-Park does have... He, he, X-Pac wasn't super a high fly compared to six. No, not really. He he sort of toned it down. We did see X-Pac do some moves here he doesn't normally do. He did a springboard clothesline, which he wouldn't always do. 
Um, this was a pretty good match, although there were some moments where they had miscommunications and they would awkwardly like, oh, back off from Do each other. And yeah. I would like, oh, go for a weird headlock. Um, I think, you know, Jericho spoke about this in his books and there was those early rumors that, you know, the WWE he was on the house. Yeah, they didn't think he knew how to work and he was overrated. Um, he didn't really click right away with some of these guys. It, I think Jericho comes into his own, you know, a year later in 2000. I think you're right. I think it is um, uh, a lot, whichever one, like not undisputed, because that's the middle book, I think. But the, you know how, like, he in, in that trilogy of books that he sort of read, like A Lion's Tale, Undisputed is the last one, whatever the middle one is. Hmm. Um, he he, you're, he goes in depth into how he basically thanks X Park for saving his WWE career, and like, yeah, and because X Park really does teach him how to do the WWE mold, kind of. Yeah, and X Park's a guy who, similar to Jericho, like, sure, he could do even more than he could in WWE, but he toned it down and just stuck to the basics or the things that would get over. And I think Jericho eventually picked that up. Um, there yeah. was a very typical WWE sign in the crowd. You know, Y2J, of course, again, it was a sign of the times, not saying this was right, but people would say Y2G. There was a sign in the crowd. It didn't say it spelt out with the letter Y and the number two. It had it in words. It said Y and then two as in T-double-O. It said Y2G (laughs) with a question mark. I'm guessing that's how they snuck that sign in because it was a question. I don't know. It was 1999. So just looking at, um, so basically, uh, the, the order of Jericho's books goes a lion's tale, uh, which is which covers his ECW, WCW, WWE run. Then there's undisputed how to become a world champion in one thousand three hundred seventy two easy steps, which goes through like, um, him becoming WWE undisputed champion till he leaves WWE, mm. and then the third book in that trilogy is best in the world. Yeah. Where it sort of talks about his rivers. It's a great set of books. Like before yeah. he sort of becomes that weird self-indulgent Chris Jericho. <laughs> the third one starts to trail off a bit. It's still interesting, but there's less meat on the bone, obviously. It covers less time. Kind of like it's how also Mick when he Foley's bo- books, each one mm. of them is slightly worse than the other. I like Foley's uh, Foley is good. I thought that was oh, the best. No, that's the worst one by a mile. <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah. Um, but you're right though. Jericho's third book, Best in the World, he kind of drinks his own Kool-Aid. Yeah, a little bit he there. Does. I don't think Foley did too in the third book anyway. <laughs> I think that's what happens when you write three autobiographies. <laughs> like, relax. So, uh, as we sort of mentioned, uh, X-Park knocks out Mr. Hughes and delivers a Bronco Buster to Jericho, but Jericho blocks it. There's a double powerbomb by Jericho on X-Park, and that only gets a two count. Jericho gets put in a tree of woe, and X-Park gives him a reverse Bronco Buster. Uh, while but Curtis Hughes comes in and takes out X Park and Doctor Tom, who's the ref. Road Dog comes out for the save, and X Park wins by DQ. And Y Two J gets a tantrum to the outside. So mm. still finding his feet here, Chris Jericho. Yeah, not the best, and the presentation of him with Mister Hughes, we didn't need that. Absolutely, did not need that at all. Um, next up is the six pack challenge. A quick recap of how we got to Unforgiven. It's a weird little transition because we've got Mankind winning the belt at SummerSlam. Then Triple H wins the world title after he sort of holds JR hostage basically on Raw the following night. It's very Attitude Era. 
Austin gets back at Triple H and then gets arrested. Vince becomes champion after Triple H goes after Linda McMahon. And I've got to say, face Vince McMahon, I don't know if you remember it at its, when it first came out. He was hugely over. Oh, I think we've discussed this. Every time he's teased being a face in this era, and then now when he is a face, he's very good at it. The crowd will hmm. buy into Vince as a face really easily every time. And I remember even as a kid here getting into this and thinking, oh my God, he's become world champion. It was a great story. And hmm. seeing it in the recaps was really fun. So it's Triple H versus Rock versus Kane versus Big Show versus the British Bulldog versus Mankind with the special enforcer, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And unfortunately, we actually miss out on Fear Factory and System of a Down doing the music for that video package on the uh, binge slash WWE Network stream. I wanted to um, mention that because in the video package, the first half of it has this generic 80s sounding thrash metal song. The second mm. half of it has this weird um, kind stock of like music. stock laid back kind of music. And I'm like, what's going on? What is this for? And then, yeah, JR mentions at the end of the package, he thanks System of a Down and Fear Factory for their music. So mm. I don't remember that, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, neither do I. It's weird too. Fear Factory and System of a Down in like WWE always seem to get bands either where they're well past their peak or not quite peak. Yeah, that's true. Because these, you know, both bands were kind of just before the cusp of really blowing up. So whoever picked it, and actually on that too, was this one of the first times they've used licensed music for a video package? I know they used Highway to Hell for SummerSlam 98, but they really didn't do it often here. No, no, absolutely not. In fact, it's not until... um wrestlemania 2000 i think that's when they start using licensed music for themes so they were trialing it here i guess yeah probably because all the 2001 is basically licensed oh yeah yeah um uh oh yeah they also mentioned mankind's book is almost out there is a huge chant for the rock during triple h's entrance um and it's it's also funny we talk about how dated wcw is seeing the british bulldog in kind of 98 bulldog gear really dates him yeah it's weird i was thinking about that the bulldog he's actually not that old he's only 37 um so he you looks know, in he, great shape he looks he looks good too and he bulldog always looked young he was still in pretty good shape if it wasn't for the injury i think there was still a spot for him as a wrestler um, you know, he wasn't at his best, but he was still pretty good. He still looked good, could still move fairly well despite the injury. Um, but yeah, he felt like the odd man out still. It's the gear. If he was wearing the, yeah. if he was in the jeans, he'd be fine, I reckon. You reckon? But it just looked so weird seeing him because it just looked like, I don't know if you ever played the game Legends of WrestleMania on PS3 and Xbox, mm. but you could import smackdown versus raw characters into the game and they always looked so weird like yeah. uh, like s- seeing randy orton up against greg the hammer valentine just looked so out of place and that's what it looked like here mm. um where do we start off with this match because a lot happens rock and bulldog started off and triple h gets tagged in first what is cool about this match is everyone sort of has history with each other so everything is interconnected i thought that was really awesome Yeah, a pretty fun match. Honestly, it's hard to follow because everyone's tagging in and out. They're all doing their thing. The Rock is the most over guy by a mile. Um, Austin is here on commentary. He's very entertaining because he's the enforcer. He says that he's doing his own six-pack challenge and he's just drinking beers while doing commentary. They try and keep it in the ring for the most part, but then 
even in a six-man match, because it's a main event in the Attitude Era, they walk all the way back to the entrance to do a little brawling. <laughs> um, it, it's a fun match. It's just hard to follow, but it's non-stop action and sort of paves the way for, you know, all the multi-man sort of schmoz matches we'd say. It doesn't stop. It's definitely entertaining. Very, very good. Yeah, it's it's way too hard to sort of go through uh, bit by bit and provide play by play. But as I mentioned, like there's intertwined stories between Triple H and The Rock, Triple H and Mankind, even Kane and Big Show coming off mm. their King of the Rings sort of thing. Bulldog and Rock, Bulldog and Mankind. Like there is so much stuff that just sort of goes through. So there's a bit to uh, Mankind and The Rock. Yeah. And there's just so many cool little threads here. And, and it, this is the best of Vince Russo like how he used to mix things together. But uh, there's a bit where the refs come out as uh, um, Cordaeus. Is it Mark Cordaeus? The referee? Jimmy Corderas. Jimmy Cordaeus. Yeah. Um, they they come out because they see that he's crossed the picket line and then they start attacking him. And um, there is a, there is a massive, there's a sequence there where Kane does a huge tombstone on mankind as Big Show goes for a choke slam. Kane cuts him off as Bulldog gives him a running power slam, who then walks into a pedigree. Rock then takes out Triple H as Mankind takes out the Rock with the double arm DDT, reverses that into a rock bottom. It's a huge sequence where everyone sort of gets their shit in. And Big Show is about to get the win, but the referees then attack um, Jimmy Cordes. Yeah, they drag him to the outside and just basically like, gangsters stomp him they beat the yeah. crap out of him and the crowd goes wild for it and it's like yeah go unions beat up that scab so i don't know if vince mcmahon thought that was the reaction he wanted um but yeah the crowd very pro-union here you know they don't respect <laughs> the scab uh but then austin and then what's funny actually i was thinking about this so all of the referees beat up corderas for crossing the picket line and gets a huge pop they're like yeah beat him up then austin comes to his rescue and he beats up the other referees and he gets kind of a pop obviously because he's Austin I don't think that's what the the WWE wanted I mm. think it was meant to be a big boo for beating up Corderas because oh you dirty unions you know mm. <laughs> he's just trying to make money and then Austin's meant to be the good guy for getting them off him but it doesn't work like that I thought that was yeah. interesting yeah, it is quite. There's a very meta level there, isn't it? Like, um, shows so, you the thinking of Vince McMahon compared to you know a normal crowd, what they think. So Stone Cold gets things back in order. The Rock has the pin on Triple H for just a two count as Austin gets in the ring to ref. There's oh, a rock what a, bottom. What a two count though, and it's only off a DDT. That's how over the Rock was. He hits mm. Triple H with the DDT. Austin slides in to count the three. It's a two, and and it was a clear two. Like Triple H kicked out, and Austin pulled the the count. But the crowd absolutely bought it, hook, line, and sinker, and they lost their minds. Rock is a mega face here. Oh. He's so over at the moment. Um, then there is a rock bottom in the middle of the ring on Triple H. Then a people's elbow, but Austin gets pulled out by the Big Show. Bulldog then gets a chair shot on Rock. A stiff one there too. Bulldog's about to get the chair on Triple H, but Austin nails him with it. Oh, he Triple H him. Triple H then pedigrees Rock and gets the win. He then taunts Austin, who gets a stunner in, for his um for his troubles and a beer bash. So even though Triple H wins the WWF Championship for the second time, uh, it's Austin standing tall here, and uh, we we sign off 
And uh, WWF Rebellion is next. They're doing they're doing a, a British pay per view uh, that following week. And um, it's I don't know about you, Simon, but I thought this was a pretty damn good pay per view. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Honestly, there were some low points, but it didn't drag. Uh, this was really easy to watch. Honestly, if you've got two and a half hours to kill, put this mm. on. Skip the kennel from hell unless you've Definitely never seen it, it and and you want to just see how how bad it is and if it lives up to the hype. But honestly, a fine way to kill two hours. It's so interesting how these shows, even one that isn't necessarily remarkable, flies by compared to a WCW pay-per-view of equivalent hype or whatever. Like, yeah, so much more entertaining. It's just got a different energy. We've also, so when we covered our last WCW pay-per-view, we found it very hard to pick who was the MVP of the pay-per-view because it was just hard because everyone was basically crap. I've found in the WWF pay-per-views, it's hard to pick an MVP because everyone does their bit. Yeah, everyone does what they're meant to do on their level of the card and, you know, to contribute to their match and bring something to the show. This one, uh, I'm actually leaning for the MVP for this to Jeff Jarrett for doing a great job in the match with China, gave yeah. her everything, Did so, was such a good heel backstage with Deborah, like pulling Miss Kitty. He sold for all the women in the way that he should. He mm. beat up Mae Young and Moolah, and that was fun. And yeah, he just did great heel work here. Yeah, it, it's a pretty stellar effort there from Double J. I was going to go with Stone Cold Steve Austin because even though He's not an active competitor. He's still a big mix of the story. He's great on commentary. Right, really good. He he refs down the line as well. Like he's yeah. he's an absolute. He's not a shonky ref. He just absolutely calls it down the middle. It's just so good. And uh, yeah, it it leads. It just caps off a pretty solid pay per view. And yeah, when literally you could skip over one match, like that's it. And that one match is kind of a oh check it out if you've never seen it, but definitely don't worry about it too much. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good uh, solid pay per view. I think so. Uh, yeah, another another decent one from the WWE, just a fun show to watch. You know, SummerSlam, I went into that thinking it wasn't going to be good and that was way more entertaining than I remembered. WWE's on a good run of shows here in 99. You know, they're not all perfect, but they're easy to watch and they're entertaining. They're definitely, it's definitely not must-watch like the 2000 era of pay-per-views is because 2000 just is flawless or, or, or 98 i think the 98 pay-per-views are better to me anyway they stand out more i still remember them more 99 mm. is a weird year because it's even more about the stories as opposed to the the shows in terms of wrestling but these yeah. pay-per-views are still still fun yeah so our next episode is um is unfortunately wcw halloween havoc 1999 that is the first russo wcw pay-per-view so oh is it yeah. Oh, we're into Russo era. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. It, at, at the very least, it's going to be an entertaining car crash. Yeah, so um, clearly, and especially after we watched the last WCPW pay-per-view, which was, what was the last? Uh, which was Fall Brawl. Mm. So Fall Brawl, as and you can go and check our archives of that one. Clearly, something had to give. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, <laughs> obviously. And it's Russo in for WCW Halloween Havoc 1999. We'll have a double shot of WWE pay-per-views coming up as well because you've got Rebellion and No Mercy. So that'll be an interesting one to see. But uh, make sure you tune in. Keep an eye on the socials. Grey Wolf ENT is where to find us. You can check out the entire back catalogue as well. But on behalf of Simon Tackler, I've been Nims Azor, and this has been Reliving the War.
This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.